Dashboards. Jason V coming to you live from the Moose House. We got another episode of Local Color Podcast brewing right here, right now. I uh, got a special guest in the building sitting to my left. What's your name, sir? Melvin Penn. Melvin Penn, where are you from? Uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Born and raised here. And what do you do? Um, I'm currently a um, autism support coach at a um, autism agency not too far from here, actually, in Hamden. Um, but in my spare time, I like to do comedy, like write. You just write comedy or anything? Typically, kind of just like write jokes. But recently, I had this like idea that I'd been sitting on for a very long time and wrote a TV show. And I uh, actually filmed it and in the working stages of editing it. And I'm almost done with that. So, What's that been like? That was like a whole experience. Like it all started with literally like an idea. And I was just like, I would really like to do this. And like a couple of years ago, talked to a bunch of people about it just to get it off of my chest. And then someone was like, dude, that sounds like a reasonable thing. Like you can like do that. And then just so happened with where I work, met someone I was training. She had just got back from Germany and she was telling me about her husband who like works with Netflix and like works with Vice and stuff and has done like projects. And she was like, um, I'm going to tell him about it. And she told him, and he, she never tells, because, like, she doesn't like when people pitch stuff to her, because she's the, you know what I mean? She, like, yeah, she like hates it, right? Yeah, so yeah. she asked me about it, and she was just like, I'm going to tell him about it. And she went home, he, like, FaceTimed me, I told him about it, 30-minute conversation. He was like, we're going to make that. <laughs> and then, like, a year a year ago, we started, and, like, a year, a year later, we're, like, editing it and finishing it. And, awesome. Yeah, That's fantastic, yeah. man. Pretty stoked. Can you talk to me a little bit about the project itself? What's the show about? Yeah, so it's um, it's called A Word From Our Sponsors, and it's about um, a, a group of people, uh, three of them specifically, who work for this like small advertising agency, and they're based out of Baltimore, and they like to do advertisements for local companies, small businesses to bring in, you know, money for the community and stuff like that. That's what they're all about. And it's run by this sleazy producer guy. He's like real shitty dude. And his name is Mickey Goldman. And he's a piece of shit. And then the three characters are essentially, um, they just make commercials for him. And they love that job because they get by and it's very like laid back. But uh, lately, over the last couple of years, they haven't been getting a lot of projects. So the first episode pilot episode starts off with them like trying to like get this project they got you know a warning from the person who like essentially pays all the bills and was like if you guys don't figure something out we're gonna shut it down so pilot episode is them trying to essentially figure out how to like get their momentum back and like get back in it uh, every episode starts off with a commercial we actually make together and then the last like so many like you know 20 so minutes of the episode is them filming that commercial mm, okay yeah cool. yeah it sounds like you have like a fully fleshed out idea. I hear mm -hmm. a lot about people who are like, oh, I'm writing this or I'm writing that. And then when you ask them more questions about it, they don't really give you yeah, a, right. lot of, uh, a lot of detail. So that's awesome. Um, what was growing up like for you in Baltimore? Um, that was super interesting, I think. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a speech pathologist. So I feel like how I was raised was like kind of different. I feel like I got a lot of like, you're not black enough, a lot growing up. And um it was interesting, like, maneuvering through that and being an adult and, like, looking back. You know what I mean? Like, I've always mm. been black enough. I would try and do sports and stuff and, like, never was really into it or could, like, stick with it. But I, like, loved doing it. I then realized that it really isn't, I guess, for me. And then got into music theater and I was like, oh, like, I love this. And then, like, started doing that and then got into high school and just, like, tried to continue doing that, tried to continue doing sports, being, like, a well-rounded person. And then went to college. What sports did you play? I did basketball and I really liked it. And then 
I guess when I got to high school, I just wasn't at the competitive level they were looking for. I just like, never really made any of the teams. Um, but I was able to successfully be on the track team and volleyball team. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then did you play them all throughout high school or you started in the beginning and then you just kind of tapered off? I did track like freshman year and then kind of just was like not really about it as much. I feel like I wasn't getting as much support from like my parents or really anyone for that matter. My coaches, it just like wasn't something I was like into. Like I was just doing it, I guess. And then um, I was just like, this isn't for me. Sports are not where it's at for me. And then my senior year, my mom was like, you have to become a well-rounded student. So colleges want to accept you. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll I'll join a team again. <laughs> so play volleyball is the easiest thing to do. So so where'd you go to for like middle school and high school and stuff? So I went to three different um, Christian denomination like schools. So um, elementary was Baptist, middle was Lutheran, and then high school was Catholic. How do you feel about religion? <laughs> it's just like it's like super interesting. I guess getting all of those aspects, I can talk about it for like days um the elementary school i went to was mount zion baptist christian the uh lutheran school was bethlehem lutheran and the, uh, the catholic school was archbishop curly growing up i was like super into it i was like this is incredible and then when you become an adult you kind of like realize like all right i have questions yeah it's like this is kind of just seems like a tool to keep people from doing bad stuff but like whatever you know like <laughs> <laughs> I, that was like a, i feel like it had a big influence on like me growing up because mm -hmm. like my life i feel like my I try to be as like morally sound as possible, I guess, based off of what I learned growing up. But you see a lot of people who are like influenced too much and like are kind of assholes because they like mm -hmm. are too like into it, you know? So would you say that you know more about the Bible than the average person or like the even the average churchgoer since you've... Yeah, I could definitely have a conversation with like an avid like religious person. And I agree with a lot of stuff, but like when people tend to become like an asshole, it's like, all right, just like chill. <laughs> like that wasn't the point. You know what I mean? Like you're missing the point. And that's why I feel like I, it influenced me to do what I do, you know, for a living. Just like giving back to the community, like volunteer a lot, working with like people with like disabilities and stuff. So. And when you went to college, uh, did you go to school for something that uh, allowed you to do the work that you do now? I was a big dummy after high school. I was, I was like, I have to go to college. I have to do this. Oh, I'll never do it. I'm like, took out a bunch of loans, went to college, and didn't realize, like, oh. This I'm, costs money. Yeah, I was like, I'm not ready for this. And, like, maybe I'll come back to it. But right now, I'm not ready. Dro I, like, dropped out and, like, never, like, I was just like, oh, I tried it again. And I was like, I don't think I'm cut out to do this kind of stuff. And then kind of left. I went for English because that was the easiest. Like, I was just such, you know what I mean? I was just like, oh, like, go to high school, go to college, get a job buy a house, all this stuff. So that was like my, like, I was like 17, 18. And I was like, this is what I have to do. This is like, you know, this yep. is how it's supposed to go. Right. Yep. And then tried to do it. And I was like, oh shit. Like that's not, you know, not everyone is cut out to do some stuff like that. You finished up high school. Uh, you didn't finish college. Where'd you go to college by the way? Uh, Stevenson university. <laughs> I went to Stevenson too. Yeah, yeah. What, what year would you have graduated if you had finished? I believe 2015. Oh, oh wait, how old are you? Uh, 26. Oh, shit. I thought you were my age. I'm 30. So once you were done with the whole school thing, how did you get into your line of work? Did it come to you? Were you just like, I need a job? So here's the timeline on the realization of college wasn't meant for me, right? So I dropped out, um, was really, like, in love with the whole, like, college life. So tried living out there with homies, but, like, not going to school, getting a job. Some shit went down, had to move back home. Uh, moved overnight, 
and then just like transferred. I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings and like got in the restaurant industry. And then from there, that's when like the whole, I was introduced to this like whole new aspect of living in life, <laughs> working in the restaurant industry. And then, uh, Moved to the Buffalo Wild Wings, worked there for a bunch, um, didn't really have any good work ethic or time management, ended up getting fired a lot for being late and stuff. Genuinely just like being disrespectful when like wasn't, you know what I mean? It just like wasn't good at. Did Christian school teach you nothing? Yeah, I mean like, <laughs> it's just like, like I feel like dealing with people, like I was really good with dealing with people, but my managers, because I like think like differently I guess and like trying to explain to them like I'm dealing with this hands on and like you're not and like your opinion is coming based off of what like should be happening but like clearly you don't know what happened and it's like I'm trying to explain this to them and like from like trying to be as, as professional as I can now I understand that like simply talking back to your managers at a certain level is just like disrespectful <laughs> whereas I thought like you could just like have an open dialogue <laughs> like try and talk things out because that's like how I need to think like Things yeah. to be like explained to me or worked out, but like trying to have like a open conversation mm -hmm. is not. Yeah, yeah, I my fiance was telling me this. I learned recently that if you have a disagreement with one of your managers, the thing not to do is to email them and then CC everybody on it. According to her, that's like oh, bro, dude, super <laughs> like, working where I work now, like getting that like whole like office like etiquette is like wild. Yeah. Like, it took me a long well. time to and learn. emails, like, I get so stressed out with emails because, like, you learn that in school, like, how to, like, write a proper email. And so, dude, I'll, like, I'll write it out. It's, I was, like, it's not a text. Like, <laughs> you can't just send in, like, a text or to, like, make it sound professional and stuff. And so, mm. I've never had a stand-up comic on the show before. What is the key to a good joke? Is there a formula you have to adhere to? How does it work? I feel like the delivery is a big part. Like, the joke can be funny, but, like, I feel like if you deliver an unfunny joke the right way, that can also be very funny. I think about that formula a lot. Like, I think about that, like, that equation, like, the perfect way to present a joke to people. And I, for, I feel like, I, I think I've been doing this for six years. I think it might be seven years in June, six or seven years. And um, I've noticed that my, like, you know, how, how I do things essentially is like storytelling. And so when I was thinking about this question, I realized that my like own personal formula is setting up the world. Then once I set up the world and the characters that are involved in this story, I then give you the backstory that you may need to know, bring you back to the point that I was trying to make. And then I deliver the punchline or what the funny situation that happened in that story. And then the, that is, there's a joke. And someone told me one day, they were like, dude, like, he was like, you were telling a story. And he was like, dude, like, it was so funny. And he was like, but the entire time you were talking about it, you, like, went from point A to point C to point D back to point B and then, like, dropped this punchline at the end and everyone lost it. And I was like, I did? I was like, I was just telling the story. I was like, I didn't even know there was, like, this whole, like, levels to it and everything. I was like, I was just telling a story. And he was like, no, dude, like, he was like, you have this, like, science down to your storytelling. And I was like, oh, word. So in my uh, everyday conversations with people, I try to, I guess, practice that very skill and try and deliver things in a way to get people to like loosen up and be more comfortable around me, which makes me then more comfortable around everyone. Around the other person. Yeah, it, like I, it was like a defense mechanism. I learned that like I'd be very uncomfortable in certain social situations. And the only way for me to loosen up is to know that this person is like capable of like 
laughing, yeah. you know? You yeah. can't trust somebody who doesn't find things funny. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you're just like, oh, right. is it me? Or right, yeah. Just, just like, just this person. Do I need to work on something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Would your, would your personal brand of comedy be storytelling? Who is that influenced by? Yeah, I would say that my personal brand of, like, comedy is definitely storytelling. I see how people tell jokes. I'm like, I'm just like, that's so good. Like people's like on the, on the local level, people who like have come up with jokes and deliver those jokes. I'm like, that is so good. And I wish I could like do that. And I feel like I could, I feel like in this, like the ways that I tell stories, it's just like, I really enjoy that whole build up, And then that, like, that, like at the end, like deliver, like building up this entire thing and then like delivering it. Whereas I could just like introduce it. Mm-hmm you know what I mean, punchline, and then keep it moving, but I feel like it's, like, you're just, like, powering through jokes, which is, like, an effective way when you only have, like, five to six minutes. Right. Getting through, you know, the jokes is fine. But, like, I just don't feel like I'm a joke teller. I feel like more of a storyteller. And lately, um, after Dave Chappelle made his, like, um, his comeback, I've just been, like, watching and watching and watching the way that man, like, tells stories. Like, one of these specials, he was like, I don't even know how I'm going to start this special. And then he was like, you know what? And then pick the topic and then just like continue to go on it. You completely, for- I completely forgot that he like picked the topic. And then it was just like, told you I would tie it in. And I was like, I was like, how do you do this that? This is why he's yeah. a legend. I was like, this is why he's him. Like, yeah. but storytelling has always been my like big thing. And I feel like it wasn't always like comedians, I guess, that like influenced it. It's just like, it didn't necessarily have to be a funny story. You know, it's like you can get a lot of like emotion from other, I guess, genres of stories or like sad stories or motivational things which is the way that it was delivered and it got that point across and whatever genre they were trying to you know do it in it was like successful and I was like I want to be able to do that and I want to be able to make people laugh at the same time a lot of comedians say their worst set taught them the best lessons about stand-up getting back to Dave Chappelle I think he said like one of his worst sets he just completely bombed but Ever since then, he's just like, I have no fear in front of an audience. So what is your worst? What was your worst set? And what it what did it teach you about stand up? Yeah. So the thing for me is that, like, while I guess bombing, I never really know that, like, I'm bombing. It never really registered to me that, like, I was doing a bad job because, like, I was always having a good time and, like, I was having fun. And I felt like that was always important. And to me, I was like, I'll never do a bad job because, like, I'm having a good time. But then, like, there was this moment, and this was actually the last time that I did stand-up comedy. It was last October. And I was about to leave to go to Arkansas. I was going to a music festival. and like, was not really focused on the fact that, like, I had to get up on stage and tell jokes. I was like, I'm just trying to leave. Like, my birthday was a couple days before, and I was like, I just want to go to this, like, music festival. And, like, went on stage and was telling jokes. Didn't really sit down and, like, um, prepare anything. It was kind of just, like, you know, doing my basic stuff that I normally do and um we just like started talking on like race issues and the crowd like half the people were like our age young but like there was like this like certain amount of like there were like people sitting up front and there was this like she had to been like 40s mid 40s uh, black lady and I guess the race stuff that I was talking about it was getting like a little touchy for her and towards the end I noticed that she just was just like not having any of it and like this was in a bar so like you walk in and the person's on stage, mm-hmm. like the door's here and you walk in and next to you is a person on stage. Like, what bar was this? Uh, Brewer's Cask. Okay. And what is that? Fed Hill? Yeah. 
Bruce Caskin Fed Hill. And you like walk in and like there is the bar here. And then there's like high top tables that go along and the bar is like deep in this like building. And um, she's sitting like right there. Like I'm here. She's sitting right there at the bar. She's eating dessert, which like just like resonated with me because it's like who like comes out to a bar to like not hear jokes and just eat dessert. And it just so happens to be an open mic. And I was like, she may have been there to support someone, but like I was just like going off on some sort of racial thing. And I guess, and I was doing it ironically to bring awareness how ignorant that whole thing is. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I began doing that, notice that uh, people were becoming more uncomfortable. I didn't notice that she was until the end, but I think that she was uncomfortable because she thought I genuinely felt that way about the stuff that I was talking about. And I was like, oh, like, you completely missed, like, all of what I was trying to do here. And then addressed her at the end because she was just, like, making a point to, like, be uncomfortable. Wait, you addressed her while you were still on yeah, stage? Yeah, while I was still on stage, I got the light and then noticed, and I was like, look, I've noticed that you've just been having not a good time at all. Is it something that I said? At what point did I lose you? And, like, engaged her in conversation. So uh, she then was like, she was like, leave me alone. And so then I was like, because I wanted to address whatever it was and be like, let me clear this up for you. I don't genuinely feel that way. That was a joke. And move on. Because I, I genuinely don't like offending people. This is not my thing. I even before offensive things will be like, I hope this hasn't offended anyone. And then like, we'll continue in. It's never really my like point to make anyone mad. That wasn't the point. Okay. So I try to like make sure that people are comfortable during my shows because all I'm truly trying to do is bring either awareness to something or, like, some sort of laughter to mm -hmm. your day. And uh seemed to have been failing with this lady, so I tried bringing up what it was that I messed up on, and she just, like, wasn't having it. And then I was like, okay, and just, like, kept getting... Then we, would like, had this, like, funny, like, back-and-forth thing going back, you know, back-and-forth, which was, like, working with the set, but then I found out that people genuinely didn't know what was going on. Like, I would talk to people, like, later, even, like, months later, and they were like, dude, I thought she was a relative of yours, and she, like, was genuinely upset with what you were saying, and, like, you were trying to, like, make your, like, aunt not be upset or something. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I didn't even know who that lady was, man. <laughs> but, like, people genuinely enjoyed the set. I thought I did a bad job, and it, like, stuck with me for a very, very long time, and I haven't done a uh, joke since then. Like, I was just, like, busy a lot, but just, like, did, wasn't motivated or, like, encouraged to do it because I was, like... Yeah, the lady really fucked with me. Like, <laughs> it really taught me a lot about like you have to be prepared. You have to like have stuff to mm -hmm. talk about. Like going up there and not giving it a hundred percent. Like when people who've coming to support gave a hundred percent to be there. Yeah. Like it's fair. It has to be a fair, even exchange of me being prepared and like going up there and talking about something that I truly want to talk about instead of just like talking about shit that ends up hurting someone's feelings or frustrating mm. them. Mm, okay. Yeah. And um, have been doing a lot of research since then. And instead of using the actual stage to practice, have just been like doing just like more research on how to like properly talk about the things that I want to talk about in front of people and do it at a level where I feel as I'm getting my point across without being an asshole. Yeah. Without being <laughs> an asshole about it. Yeah. Does anybody at your job know that you do stand up? Is it weird when you see one of your coworkers, that you didn't invite or somebody that you know that you didn't invite at one of your sets? Does that throw you off? No, dude, I think um, everyone should come. Like, <laughs> the shit, like, the shit is ignorant, but, like, come, you know what I mean? Like, it's fun. Um, if someone comes who didn't enjoy it or disagrees or whatever, you can talk to me about it. You know what I mean? I'm very open to talk about it. And then if we get down to it and something I genuinely said upset you, like, I apologize for upsetting you. you know yeah, I mean? of course. But I encourage my coworkers to come out. Um, 
and I'll talk about things, you know, whatever. I don't care. I really don't mind what people think. And if it somehow gets me in trouble at work, I can always just be like, hey, like, it was a joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. If you didn't want to hear this, you could right. just yeah. walked away. Right. Like, it's like a joke. It's like you came to come see the joke. Like, how right. am I truly in trouble right now <laughs> at work talking on something outside of work? Like, yeah. come on. So <laughs> it's never gotten to that. I encourage people to come. But when I was looking over this question, I was able, like, I have a solid answer for this. So what I do where I work, I work with young adults on the spectrum. And, um, like, I worked with one for a very long time. And he um, would, like, look me up. His mom would give him her phone. And, like, sometimes, like, they'll have their iPads and stuff. I guess I don't know where they were, but she gave him the phone to use. And he likes to look up videos and stuff like that. And typically the kind of videos that we watch together, like Sesame Street, watching silly videos. But I guess he typed my full name in because he knew my full name. Oh, no. So he typed it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she gave him the phone and, I guess, was using that to occupy him so she could focus on something else and, like, heard heard just ignorant things coming from her cell phone. <laughs> like went over and was like, what are you listening to? Pulled the phone up and looked and was like watching it and was like, oh my God, this is Melvin. She's like, oh hell no. Yeah, she was like, oh no. She's like turning it off and then uh, I came to work the next morning and she comes in and she'll talk to whomever is working with him that day and sometimes I get to see her and I was like, hey, what's going on? And she told me the story and I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, like, it was fine. She was like, it was funny, but, like, he obviously can't watch that kind of stuff. But it's happened. Like, wait, 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 none of that matters. You thought I was funny? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> And then it's happened two more times since then. Um, the second time was because the, the dad gave him the phone, and no one was in the room with him. And she, like, again, heard, overheard it and, like, went and was like, oh, he did it again. Like he's, <laughs> So she, she always tells me about it. It's kind of funny. I was like, maybe I should just, like, make a video specifically for him, but, like, post it to YouTube. You know what I mean? So it still has a, you know what I mean? Instead of him, like, because he's going to want to look up my name. I think change cool. Yeah, change the title of the other video. And so whatever it is that he's typing, this video specifically for him comes up. And it's just, like, me, like, addressing him directly. That would and be I, cool. And I feel like people would, like, find it and be like, what is this? Like, what is this even about? <laughs> it's just, like, me, a personal <laughs> message for me to him. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's on YouTube because, like, that's mm -hmm. what he's into. But So yeah. you, you mentioned a personal message. Um, I was researching you for uh today watching some of your stand-up and you touched on a topic that i really want to talk about because not a lot of people talk about it and you know we're suffering in silence <laughs> <laughs> um can, can you talk as a fellow left-handed person can you just talk about how tough it is out here for us dude honestly like when i was thinking about this question i was like yo it really is the world is cr like definitely created for right-handed people yeah it's like you have to actively think about stuff <laughs> that you don't actively think about. I feel like right-handed people just don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. Like where I sit at the dinner table. Everyone's right-handed, so depending on where I sit, I'm bumping into the... I, I have to sit, sit on, on the, the outside of the table. on the outside, Dude, yeah. like, <laughs> it's just like such a thing. And I, um, when I was reading the question, I was like, dude, like, when did I ever talk about left? And then I had to remember the joke that I was talking about. It was like, uh, when you first get on stage and you have to shake hands yeah. with people, it's such a stressful thing. And like, just social interactions for me, are just tend to be t like kind of stressful. If I haven't met you for the first time, that like immediate interaction. I was, I went to Archbishop Carroll's all boy Catholic school. And for some reason, handshaking was like one of the big things, like a firm, solid man of a handshake was like, the first like impression that you have mm -hmm. of meeting someone and then they, they were all like you know 
they wanted to prep you for college and prep you for, you know, being a businessman and like, you know, being out in the world and like shaking hands and like, I was like, I every time I go to do it, if I didn't do it right, and I'm left-handed, so like, it felt weird. It was just so weird. It's such a thing, yeah, dude. Like, yeah, trying to dab people up, and then just, and then the thing about that kind of handshaking is, you know, everyone's going for like a very solid, firm handshake, but in every other aspect of your life, like, people yeah. could be going for one of the like. It, it happens. <laughs> it happens. So it happens to me a lot, and I've noticed that it happens with other black men that I'll meet even when we met outside the recording studio I was like all right what kind of handshakes you gonna go for and then I've yeah. there's definitely been times where like I've met a black guy I'm like oh yo what's up I've, I've gone for the handshake he he went for the dab and right. we're just like right, right, right and then I'm like walking away and I'm just like Jesus fucking Christ you fucked that up yeah like, like what's your problem what I what I learned to do was like it, like no one's gonna be upset if you redo that that's what I had to like learn like, if I fuck it up and I genuinely, like, am worried about it, I'd be like, we have to do that again. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'll just be like, I, that wasn't good. We need to do that again. And I was something I taught myself. Like, if I, if I ever do something that, like, makes me feel uncomfortable, literally just, like, work through it. Like, I don't I don't have to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no one has to be, like, yeah. it's all a thought process. It just takes a, like, second to think about it. Yeah, and I think that's also really interesting and smart because – you as that person, you're like, all right, I messed this up. Let's do it over again. I'm telling you, right. like, let's do it over again. And of course, the other person's gonna be like, if the other person's like, no, I'm good. Then you're like, okay, well, you, then you're just an asshole, right? Okay. Who's like, what was we shaking hands for in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> but there's been a couple of times where I've had to like redo the dap. I'm like, we have to redo that. Which I feel like also, if it's the first time you know the person, they are like, well, this person tends to care about things, even you know, so small that they're more willing to be like. Okay. Pretty decent guy right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. We uh, like the first time I met him, like he made us redo the handshake. I'm right. Like, I mean, you feel really special. Right. And yeah. You're like, oh, this is actually all for me. I don't. Right. Really. <laughs> it's like I don't care about your opinion. I just want you to think <laughs> that I'm a good person. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we skipped over this question, and I want to come back to it because we're finishing up now. A lot of stand-up comics they were influenced by TV. I think a lot of the comics that we grew up with, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. You know, Louis C.K., all of them, they were kind of influenced by the golden age of television and the advent of the on-air stand-up comic. Were you influenced by TV? What influenced you to start comedy? Um, Yes. So I remember, like, the very first, like, I guess, comedy video that I was, like, or, like, it was, like, Comedy Central. It was, like, Dane Cook had the most, like, influence on me when I was young. And... I, like, watched one of his, like, stand-up things, and I was like, wow, that's, like, really funny. And then, like, I guess this is around the time that, like, you had internet access in your individual houses, and you didn't have to, like, do it at school or go to the library. So I was, like, looking up different videos and stuff and, like, doing research on him and found his, like, very first video, and I was like, wow, that's looks like essentially, like, some sort of, you know, theater thing. Like, he was very exaggerated and just, like, and I was like, wow, like, you don't necessarily just have to go up and tell jokes. Like you like do essentially whatever you want on stage, and if it works, people will laugh. As long as people laugh, you right? Can do and then he had his vicious circle special, and then I was like, wow, like that is cool. You have like a whole like arena of people looking at you, and you're not just addressing people in front of you. Like you have an entire 360 like stage that you have to address an entire room, and that was like very influential for me. And then like once I got older and actually started doing comedy, I started like looking into more like black comedians. And Bernie Mac, watching the Bernie Mac show, watching his stand-up comedy, and I was like, 
that's funny. Like, I was like, that is, like, yeah. how it should be. Didn't really, like, watch a lot of stuff. And then, like, as I started, like, getting more and more and more into comedy, was, like, essentially just, like, watching all of it for research purposes. Like, watched all of Eddie Murphy's stuff. Watched all of, like... Oh, uh, man. Not to cut you off. Like, within the last, I think, two to three years, I watched Eddie Murphy's Delirious stand-up, and I was just like, Right, yeah, I was like, insane. you couldn't make that today. And I watched, I think his name is Eddie Griffin, Eddie Griffith? Yeah, Eddie. The, on a cover Eddie brother, Griffin. Yeah. Eddie Griffin. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, was just like aggressively watching all of the black comedian comedy and stuff like that. And he made a very recent one, and I was like, I was like, I had to turn it off. I was like, like ah. I was like, this is aggressive, dude. <laughs> I was like, holy <laughs> shit. But I was like, but it still like teaches me that like, if you have the fan base that knows what you talk about, you can talk about whatever you want. They came they came there to see you. To see you, right, yeah. So that, like, even though I wasn't able to, like, successfully finish watching it, it still was, like, a learning thing. Well, it's like if people genuinely like you, they will listen to what you have to say, even if it's not the best, like, thing you, to talk about. It was aggressive. I was like, damn. I do you feel like <laughs> that... Do you feel like that specific stand-up special also kind of told you or showed you what not to do? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. When people talk about shit that I disagree with, like, there's certain stuff that I just, like, can't get down with. Like, dude, like, rape jokes are not funny. And, like, it's, like, a very sensitive thing. People start talking about it. I'm like, come on, like, this shit's not funny, dude. Like, someone told a joke one time, and, like, he never, like, implied it, but how he told his story and, like, how the story ended, I was like, dude, like, that's fucked up. <laughs> like said it out loud. I was like, "That's fucked up." <laughs> you just, were you in the crowd? And you I was in the crowd. It? I was like, "That's fucked up." <laughs> what did what did the comic say? I think he just ignored and kept going. The thing about it in that situation is like, you never know if the person's telling the truth because for for the whole like that was a joke thing. But joking about that kind of stuff, like at the end of it, like essentially the the whole idea of consent was implied. But it was like. Bro, for the sake of your joke, like, that was not... You went a little too far. Yeah, I was like, that was not... Yeah. You can't joke about that kind of stuff, bro. Like, yeah, I I get I get it, and I know that now more than ever, people are always like, well, either all of it's okay or none of it's okay, and I can definitely agree with that on a certain level, but if you want all of it to be okay, then it's your responsibility to present it in a way that is genuinely funny and it doesn't look like you're doing it at somebody else's expense. Yeah. So like, for example, Dave Chappelle, his specials were very polarizing. Like I have personal friends who were just like, I thought it was terrible. I'm never supporting him again. All this other stuff. I'm like, I get it, but it was funny as fuck. Yeah. It's funny as hell. The one, you know how like he was like for Netflix, he was doing like two specials mm -hmm. at a time. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was. So he came, remember when he came back, it was like, oh, Dave Chappelle's back. Two specials came out. And I think a year or two later, two more specials came out. Yes. The special that was in the smaller venue, I was like, damn, like that wasn't that good. Which, the one where like- the I can't remember what it was called. I don't want to say the wrong Was name, it the one when like, he was in Texas? I don't know. He was smoking a cigarette on stage though. Uh, right? And I think in all the new batch of like comedy he mm -hmm. that was like the only one that he was it was a smaller venue you can clearly see yeah. it was a smaller venue yeah yeah and i just feel like he wasn't prepared i feel like knowing what people got i don't know what he does specifically because he's he's the og you yeah. know but like i could clearly see like i was like this man did not come with anything prepared to talk about and like it was quiet mm -hmm. in there he was talking about and then he started talking about very serious shit i guess he realized that like he had everyone's attention because like no one was like laughing at the things he was talking about then he would get real Mm -hmm. and then deliver a punchline. So, like, it wasn't, like, bad, but I was, like, from a comic standpoint, I feel like he, like, probably didn't 
that wasn't his favorite one. And I was like, damn, mm. like it's not. I was like, this was a different. Mm-hmm. Like not, I guess like bad is not the term. Like I don't want to say Dave Chappelle did a bad job, but I feel like it wasn't like his normal. It wasn't normal. like a like a strong performance. Yeah, it wasn't like his. And he, he was like sitting. He was sitting smoking a cigarette. He was just like talking to a like a smaller venue of people. Yes. And I feel like it was a more real thing. But it, like it wasn't like I feel like people are coming to watch you tell jokes. It wasn't as much as a it performance like, at his other. As his oh other yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I was like, I could, I, I don't know. I feel like I could tell that there was something different there. Gotcha. But the rest of the stuff is just like funny because it's just like you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, God damn, like, <laughs> yeah. well, damn. <laughs> Definitely. So we're going to finish up here. Uh, I want to make sure we're under the time limit. What's coming up next for you? Yes. So um, I have a uh, meme related comedy show that I'm a part of. It's called Promethazine Plaza 4, I think. My friend Joe is running that. Um, I have 10 minutes doing that. Um, if anyone wants any information on it, um, I could post it or I. That's happening on the 20th, so... Of February? Of February. 22nd, I uh, have a show um, in New York. It's my first... Your first one since last October? My first show since last October will be the meme-related comedy show, which okay. I feel like is going to be a good, comfortable way to get back into it, because, like, memes are hilarious. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> get on stage, it'll be a bunch of my friends. Uh, more like, I guess, a more underground type of show, bring your own beer like you just like chill i guess okay um but the new york one is gonna be a, a big deal and it's two days after that one so i feel like i'll be i've just have done as you know a room and i'll be good comfortable with getting back on stage it's my first time doing comedy in new york it's at the pit um it's at the loft in the pit in new york um and i'm pretty stoked about that it's on the 22nd of february and then we are currently submitting uh me and the guys that i do comedy with we are in this comedy group called cafe negro we go around in different states and do you know stand-up comedy shows we did some in Asheville, philly um dc silver spring baltimore we do a bunch of shows in baltimore because i live here <laughs> and then uh we have the show in new york and then we're going to be doing more festivals around um the east coast and stuff like that and then the tv show i uh, should have a trailer coming out uh, pretty soon very excited for that how can people find you online and what's the soup of the day so um the way to find me, I guess, on Facebook, my full government name is Melvin J. Penn II. So, like a Roman numeral, too. Um, and then I have a comedy page on Facebook that I tend to post like updates and stuff. Like, if people want to genuinely come like check me out, uh, it's Melvin J. Penn Comedy. Um, Instagram, my handle is uh, Real Soup of the Day. Oh, no, it's not. It's Soup of the Day Comedy. <laughs> One of them, dude. It's Soup of the Day Comedy, is what the Instagram is. And I just post it, I shit post a lot. I post, like, family stuff, but in my story, it's kind of just, like, memes, pretty much. Um, but if, you know, if anyone wants any information or want to know what's going on with shows, those two things are kind of how I communicate via social media. Okay. Um, for more, like, serious stuff, for more <clears throat> comedy series, you know, related stuff, that Cafe Negro thing I was talking about, it's uh, at Cafe Negro. Uh, comedy on Instagram is how you get a lot of, you know, my information. And the... Soup of the day today is cheesy steak and potato. Uh, when I was going over the question, I was like, he's either asking specifically what <laughs> I would pick as the soup of the day. But then I was like, I'd also have a response for like where that name came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so being the second, my dad, when I first started doing comedy, he was like, yeah, can you have a stage name? And I was like, when I first started doing research, I was like, that was one of the rules to not have a stage name, to oh, just okay. use your regular name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Hart, I think, did an interview, and he was like, his like stage name was like Kevin Hart, a comedian or something. And a lot of people get 
shit on if their Facebook name is so-and-so the comedian. <laughs> it's like people shit on that. I don't know why, but um, a stage name was like rule number one. And so then I was like, all right, but like, you know, when I started being more professional and getting a job, I was like, I'm going to put, I want to put videos up. I want people to be able to find it without typing my name in. And like the stage name became very important with that situation that happened at work with the kid, like looking me up and stuff. Yeah. So um, I decided to come up with a stage name that's soup of the day based off the like restaurant related aspect of my life. Did that for seven years and worked in a restaurant when we had a soup of the day. And then time I had to talk to someone just saying that felt so natural. And then that is how I guess that sparked that whole like stage name. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about we haven't already gone over? Um, I don't know. How much time do you have? Uh, Matt, thumbs up, thumbs down. We Is that five minutes? Five minutes. Anything else you want to talk I, about we haven't I, already gone over? Over the For the next five minutes, I do have something that I wanted to bring up. I just like something random. I feel like the rest of the world like got introduced to recently. Okay. And that's that whole inner dialogue thing. You see about that? Inner dialogue? So, like, everyone doesn't have an inner dialogue or monologue. Like, when you think, do you hear, like, a voice voice in your head talking? So, apparently, there are people who don't have that. Yeah, they're called fucking psychopaths. (laughs) So, like, a lot of research has been popping up. People didn't know that it was a thing. And and, uh, a lot of other people, like, people who don't have the inner monologue have a concept mapped. And they see what it is that they're thinking versus hearing it. Which I think That's is interesting. Yeah, and I've just been like talking to people about it, about how they like have um, no inner monologue. Is this like a medical condition or is. Um, I don't think it's like a medical thing, but it's just like, I guess normally stop to think that like, how do other people think, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're still like, I guess, studying the brain. It's such a massive like thing. And so, I guess someone, it just like came up as someone was like casually talking to one of their friends and realized that their friend didn't hear. The I guess or no the person who originally found out I guess was in it in some sort of class found out tweeted about it that ended up going viral and so it's just been like a hot topic conversation lately. I'm gonna have to look it up because sometimes I wish that mine would just stop. Stop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel that. That's insane. I always say that I never I don't uh, identify with my inner dialogue. Like, you don't. No. Why not? I have a hard time making decisions, so my inner dialogue is just like always like quick like let's i feel like that's where a lot of my jokes like being like fast and witty my inner dialogue just like comes up with shit mm-hmm. but uh i feel like my inner dialogue is, a, is an asshole like <laughs> if that was like the real yeah. me if i was saying a lot of the shit that i was thinking i feel like people would hate it i have to filter like yeah i swear i filter like 90 percent of the shit that i say 10 percent of the stuff comes out and most of that's still stupid like <laughs> that's probably how everybody does it it's for the best i feel like my inner dialogue is like just a Black Larry David. Like, <laughs> my my sister and my fiance know if you, I fucking hate it when people go the wrong way on a one way and they do it a lot Ooh. at a road that I live near and they do it a lot at like Lake Montebello or Druid Lake Park when you're running. There's a running lane, there's a fucking walking lane, and there's a biking lane. Don't fucking walk or run in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, I feel like, you on that. Yeah. It and like nobody seems to care about it except me, and it drives me insane. And then one day there's going to be a fucking accident and I'm going to, I will be that guy to be like, I fucking told you so. Right. Uh, Wait, who's the, that's the dude from a uh, curve. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Cause someone was like, so I have um, this thing, it's called nonverbal learning disability. So it's like mildly, uh, it's like a social disorder. I tend to like 
like I said, I have to like talk things out. So like when something like some sort of disagreement is happening or something is like happening, I have to like talk it out. People think I'm being rude, but it's like I'm just genuinely trying to understand what's going on. And uh, I watched a couple episodes and someone was like, bro, you literally are that guy. Like, <laughs> like I watched an episode. Uh, um, the dude from the military came back and everyone was like, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Yeah. And then he was just like, hey, what's going on? Nice to meet you. And everyone's like, what's up, man? Yeah. And he was and then his like he just like makes a he just like goes off on these like tangents and like makes these like and just over small shit. And like you're saying, like you get so upset over like like that and like i feel like i tend to get upset over spilt milk because of the whole like it's the principle yeah yeah aspect of it yeah i got you uh i think we gotta wrap up here i don't i don't see matt in the chair but melvin okay cool yeah melvin j pen the second super the day comedy thank you so much thank you for having me man i appreciate it absolutely absolutely all right matt we're done